Well, I know this may come as a surprise to some of you, uh, but I'm not a long-distance runner. <laughs> no, really, it's true. It's, it's true. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't like running. Now, I know exercise is good for me, and I do it, uh, but I don't really even like that. Uh, there has rarely a moment where I eagerly begin an exercise. Uh, now, when it's over, uh, I'm always thankful, and you know, I, uh, I am appreciative. Again, I understand that I need to do it, but I just never begin an, uh, a workout thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. Uh, we have Humana Insurance as a church, and Humana has this way of, they reward us for working out. <laughs> and we sort of compete at it as a staff. Uh, you get rewards for working out. Uh, so about a year and a half ago, Sharon and I bought a heart, rate monitor, a heart rate monitor, a watch, and a band that you put on. And we got the watch. It arrived at our house and opened up the instructions. You know, we're excited about this. We're finally going to start getting credit for our workouts. And uh, so we, we, put the, we pull out the instructions. The instructions say, you know, put the heart rate monitor or the band on, put your watch on. And the first thing you do is a fitness test. You lay down on the floor and you do this fitness test. And so I'm helping Sharon first. You know, I get it all. I read the instructions. I help her. I get her watch set. She lays down. I get my watch set and I lay down. Well, a few minutes into this, her watch starts beeping. So get this picture. We're laying down side by side. Uh, her watch starts beeping and she sits up and she looks at her watch and she says, it says elite. What does that mean? <laughs> you see where this is going, don't you? Yeah. I wasn't completely cluing in on that moment. I didn't know what was happening at that point. I was, you know, I'm thinking elite, that's kind of odd. What, what's it saying? I, I should have seen it coming, but before I knew it, my watch beep. I sat up and looked at it fair. <laughs> Which then I pulled out the instructions thinking, well, that can't be that bad. It's below average, by the way. It's, it's just right below average. It was fair. I don't know why I was surprised, uh, to be honest with you. Because I can be creative in finding a reason not to exercise. Uh, or finding what I call exercise. Anybody with me on this? Um, I was, no, 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 you're not. Uh, I was playing golf a couple of weeks ago with a couple of our fellows, with Tim Spanberg, who's out of the Olathe campus, and Andrew Campbell, who's here. And Tim introduced me to the HumanaFit app on the iPhone. I can turn it on playing golf, and it records my workout. This is awesome, isn't it? Now, before you judge me for, uh, you know, counting golf as exercise, walking a round of golf at Heritage Park is seven and a half miles. So, yeah, see? And now I know what you're thinking, but did you walk? You know? <laughs> And I am wondering if you could do a cart and if HumanaFit would know the difference. I might have to try that out sometime. <laughs> when I mow my yard, it's a 1.6-mile walk, just so you know that. Um, and so it got me started thinking. It got me wondering, what's the least amount I could do with the HumanaFit app and get credit for it? There's bowling. You can choose bowling on the HumanaFit app. And I know what some of you are thinking at this moment, does that count wee bowling? Uh, I, maybe it does. Uh, there's the difficult workout of camping. I mean, nothing says workout like making s'mores, right? Uh, 
If you want to mix it up a little, there's, there's the games workout on Humana Fit. A good game of Scrabble, you're done, right? There's everyone's favorite, housework workout. Finally found a way to redeem vacuuming, right? It's like, here it is. And this one will come as no surprise to most of the men here today. There is the shopping workout. I can walk seven and a half miles on the Heritage Park golf course, but 15 minutes in a mall, I need a bench, right? I mean, we... And then there's one that, Randy, you might use to motivate people to sing in the choir. It's the workout of singing. And it does make me wonder right now if you have your app on, uh, getting credit for this morning. But my favorite workout of all on the HumanaFit app is vehicle. What is that? I mean, it's like a, a Sunday afternoon drive. It's like you turn the app on. We all have this tendency to laziness, don't we? Um, I love the way despair.com captured this uh, in this. Success is a journey, not a destination. So stop running. (laughs) And if you can't relate, or maybe you're thinking now at this moment, well, at least I'm not as lazy as my pastor. uh, Let me just say you're not off the hook. Because just because our schedules are busy and someone peers into your life and you look anything but lazy, it doesn't mean that you aren't. Instead, I think our busy schedules often reveal a tendency towards laziness in an area of life that might be deadliest of all. In 1991, um, Eugene Peterson was interviewed for a magazine and he spoke these words that I remember reading at that moment and had the misfortune of coming across them again as I prepared for this sermon. Busyness is the enemy of spirituality. It is essentially laziness. It is doing the easy thing instead of the hard thing. It is filling our time with our own actions instead of paying attention to God's action. A busy person is a lazy person because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But as we've heard read this morning and heard Marissa read so beautifully this morning from the book of Hebrews... What I think we'll discover as we dig into this, these two familiar verses, these verses that were first given as a sermon to the early church, I think we'll find that there's a difficult truth for those of us who might be lazy or spiritually lazy this morning, that the Christian life is like an endurance race. I mean, really, couldn't we find another metaphor? I mean, couldn't there, like... Here's what we want to be true, right? The Christian life is like a Sunday afternoon drive, or it's like shopping, or it's like singing in the choir. I mean, couldn't we go with that? And sometimes I think we live as if we believe this is true, that the Christian life is like shopping. But as we come to Hebrews 12 this morning, we must face the truth that it's not. The Christian life is like an endurance race. And as we all know, there's a right way to run, right? I mean, there's a right way to run, and there's a wrong way to run. And we've all seen those runners on the side of the road. There's that one person that we see that looks like they could just run for days. And then there's a person who feels like, or looks like they're sort of being tortured and desperately in need to stop. You, You know what I'm talking about, right? And this is where the Hebrews preacher takes us this morning. How are we to run? I think we'll see five things that are essential to the race of faith. So let's dive in. 
If you have your Bibles, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 1 with, again, words that might be familiar to you this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, here's what I think this opening phrase is saying to us. It's preacher saying, run while people are cheering you on. Now, I must admit that when I first wrote out this point, I was thinking, now, what is this saying here? And I wrote out this point, run with cheerleaders. Uh, But I decided that uh, some of you might get the wrong idea. So let's just go with run with people to cheer you on. Now, I know it's been a couple of weeks uh, since we were here, and we looked, if you remember two weeks ago, we looked at, or three weeks ago, actually, uh, on the 13th, we looked at the the great hall of faith. Um, a long list of people who have gone before us. You, you remember that hall of faith? We have Moses and uh, Abraham and Sarah. And now it seems as if the preachers shifted. Remember, this is a sermon. Is now saying, so since we are, because of those group of people, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it seems like as, as if these people are lining the streets and cheering us on as we're running this race of faith, and there's lots of them. This word that is translated as cloud here, it's the only time it's used in the Scripture. From Greek literature, it has two meanings. One of them is a group of clouds, and the other is a large throng or a large crowd of people. He's telling us that there is a big crowd of people who are cheering us on, watching us, encouraging us, as we run this race of faith. Now, you may be thinking at at this moment, well, I don't have many friends, and, you know, I'm really going through a a period of loneliness, and I'm struggling with loneliness. This, This isn't true for me. And if you're thinking this, let me just say to you that you're missing the point. The preacher's not saying that we need to find a good group of people to encourage us on, to run with, also, although that is an important thing and certainly vital to the Christian life, but that's not what is being said here. He's just stating a fact. Do you see it? Since we are surrounded, there's no question here. There is a large crowd of people who are watching us and cheering us on. Now, if you've run an endurance race, I know some of you have, um, I did it once. Uh, I ran the Tulsa Run, uh, which is 15K, and I know some of you immediately are saying, well, that's not really an endurance race. Uh, nine miles. Uh, it's all the endurance I want. Let me just put it that way. Uh, and if you've done this, or maybe you've attended a friend's endurance race, you know that the streets are often lined with people who are encouraging runners as they run by. And as one of those runners, I'm glad I did it once so I can now tell you about it, uh, it is very encouraging. At the beginning. (laughs) I do remember hearing some words of encouragement toward the end of the race and thinking to myself, oh, sure, that's easy for you to say. You're sitting there in a lawn chair. You should try this. But here's the cool thing that the preacher's saying. As we run this difficult and tiring race of faith, 
The streets are lined with people who have already finished. These aren't people that just came out to watch us run. These are people who have completed the race and are now watching us, have come back to watch us and cheer us on. They know what we're going through. They know the pain of the slightest inclines. They don't watch us with judgmental eyes of wondering why we're not doing better. They know it's hard firsthand and are there speaking words of encouragement for us to not quit. So let me just ask, are you hearing the cheering? You know, in an endurance race, it can be, um, you can become so self-focused that all you hear is your aching body, your self-talk that's telling you to quit. And I think the preacher is trying to wake them up and wake us up from our self-pity party and remind us that there are people who have gone before us who are watching and cheering us, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Joseph and David, your grandparents, your parents, that encouraging friend who always knew the right moment to call you and to say those, speak those words to you, who are no longer here but are as they watch you and cheer you on. Look how verse 1 continues. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, the preacher's actually given us two important truths here about running the race of faith. But I'm guessing that if you've read this before and if you're familiar with this passage, that you've interpreted this phrase as only one thing, that we just we need to stop sinning. But as we all know, punctuation matters, doesn't it? You see that little comma there? Here's one. Uh, Rachel Ray finds inspiration in cooking her family and her dog. <laughs> the missing commas matter there, don't they? It should read Rachel Ray and finds inspiration, comma, in co- uh, inspiration in cooking, comma, her family, comma, and her dog. There's a comma here. It's after the word wait. And this is actually two ideas. It was, by the way, it was actually discovered that this is a hoax. Uh, someone uh, wanted to have a picture go viral, change this whole thing. But even though that didn't really happen like that, it illustrates the point. Because the preacher here has given us two reasons or two truths that we must not miss about running this race of faith. First, it is this lay aside every weight. It is a call to run simply. You know, we have a great way of adding stuff to our lives, don't we? Stuff that weighs us down. They're, they're not necessarily sins. They can become that in our life, but they don't start off that way. They can often be good things. Things we just add in, too much of them eventually begin to make it impossible for us to run well. And the preacher urges us on to simplify, to lay aside every weight You see, there's nothing wrong with surfing. Let's just take that as an example. There's nothing wrong with surfing. But you wouldn't think about carrying a surfboard while running a marathon. And I think this is a silent killer of spiritual health for us here. Western Christians, affluent Western Christians, 
that we have too many surfboards. We've acquired too many things. We just keep holding on to them. And then we're complaining about how hard it is to climb this hill that we're encountering. So let me just ask for a moment and pause. What good thing might God be asking you to lay aside? What's weighing you down? How might God be calling you to simplify? Now, as I stated, there's a second part to this phrase. You know, it's not just enough to get rid of the good stuff. We're also called to run away from dangerous distractions. You see, we can become so easily distracted by temptation that entices, and we give in to that temptation. And when we do, the preacher tells us that we actually become entangled. And when we're entangled in a race, it's inevitable that we are going to fall and hurt ourselves and likely others around us. So just pause with me for a moment. If you're taking notes, I, just, I want to ask you this question. And I just, if you have, if you feel led to do this, write down what sin is entangling you right now. What are you caught in? Take the step to name that right now. Whether it's in your head, write it down. Just like in sports, we avoid distractions, dangerous distractions, through a simple but difficult process, and it's called training. You see, we run away from the distraction of giving in to our urges by intentionally denying ourselves the things we want, which is the discipline of fasting. We run away from the distraction of busyness by intentionally finding places of solitude. We run away from the distraction of self-sufficiency by frequently going to God in prayer. We run away from the distraction of arrogance and self-importance by pursuing ways to serve others, ways that will not get noticed and ways that will get us nothing in return. We run away from the distraction of disobedience in the big ways by learning and knowing God's word and seeking to be obedient to him in even the smallest of ways. But let's face it, this takes work and discipline. Kevin DeYoung, uh, an author that I am growing to love, uh, he's a young pastor and uh, is funny in the way he writes. Uh, I would recommend him to you. He said this in a book called The Hole in Our Holiness. He said, holiness is plain hard work, and we're often lazy. We like our sins, and dying to them is painful. Almost everything is easier than growing in godliness. So we try and fail, try and fail, and then give up. And this is what I think the preacher is doing this morning. He's urging us on to not give up, to run away from the dangerous distractions, and to keep going. Now, the next piece of running advice, advice I think is hugely important. Look here as uh, verse 1 continues, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The preacher wants us to know that the Christian life is an endurance race. It is difficult. Right, just work with me here for a moment. As I was going thinking about this this week as I was preparing, can you imagine a, 
a guy signing up for a marathon. And at mile 11, he stops at the drink station and asks a volunteer, how much longer? I mean, I'm really tired. This is getting hard. How much more is there of this? Maybe some other runners overhear him, and they too are shocked how difficult it is. Someone even heard there's a hill coming up. And so they just stand there and talk, all of them surprised at how long and how difficult the race is. Let me say this clearly. The Christian life is difficult. It's filled with suffering. It requires endurance. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And because of this, we must learn to run with a good pace. You see, some of you think that God will love you more if you run really fast and really hard. And so you're sprinting. You're trying to impress that cloud of witnesses that are watching you. I mean, you'll show them how great you are at running, right? I mean, you've been running fast, maybe even waving to the crowd for years. And you're starting to wonder how much more you can do. And why isn't anybody noticing you? The Christian race is like, Christian life is like an endurance race. This doesn't mean we loaf, by the way. You see, there's a big difference between loafing and pacing. Loafing is when we find out how little we have to do to be able to get by. And yet we know deep in our heart we can do more. And my hunch for most of you here this morning, that's the case. When it comes to your spiritual life, and I speak these words to me as well, we're loafing. We know we can do more. We know we should do more. But pacing is discovering all that we can give and still make it for the long haul and stepping into that consistent stride that will last. So let me just ask, are you loafing and need to pick up the pace? Or maybe you're sprinting and need to slow down. Remember, we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I have a hunch at this point you might be thinking, at, you might be thinking well, thanks a lot, Kevin. Uh, that's really great. I might need to slow down, and I might need to speed up. That's really helpful. Thank you for that. Well, I think the preacher might have anticipated this question at this point. Look how uh, verse 2 continues. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the faith. You see, in endurance races, there are often pacers, uh, people who have run the race before, they know the course, and they're willing to run holding a sign. Can you imagine doing that? Holding a sign or with some balloons tied to them. And their task is to run as a, at a designated pace for the entire race. So if your goal is you enter the marathon is to run a three-hour marathon, uh, you just need to keep up with the three-hour pacer. Just keep that person in view. So in other words, here, here's another running trip for, a tip for us in the Christian life, that, that is to run with someone who's been there. And not only, the preacher is telling, not only is Jesus someone who's been there, he's the founder of the race. He invented the race. He created the course. 
He's the reigning champion, and he has the course record. And he's willing to run alongside each one of us, pacing us. This is the idea of Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you. Run with me. This is what Jesus is saying. He knows what he's doing, and he can be trusted. But sometimes we wonder, don't we? At times it feels like he's really running fast and, and pushing us. And so we drop back. We lose sight of him and, and then wonder why he left us. And we're too proud to cry out for help. And then there's times where we just get impatient. It seems as if he's running too slow and we speed up ahead of him, thinking we, we don't really need him anymore. We'll just do this on our own. And we begin to get tired and weary and begin to wonder if we are on the wrong track, wrong course completely. And yet we're too proud to turn back and ask for help. But he knows how to run this race. He's waiting for us to come to him and to let him lead the way. You see, he knows this race we're running. As a matter of fact, he had a much tougher terrain to run. And the preacher reminds us of this. Look how verse 2 finishes who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Hebrew preacher wants to make sure that we all know that we can run with a hopeful joy. You see, the Christian life, although it is difficult, it does not have to be joyless. And it's not because we're good runners or we've mastered all the running tips but because of one who has gone before us and was victorious on all of our behalf. You see, in the midst of the most painful part of his race, Jesus looked past the pain. This is the picture the preacher is painting for us. Looked past the pain, the the pain that he was encountering to the victory that he would secure. Because he knew what was coming, and he ran with a hopeful joy a joy of what was set before him. He could see that it would all be worth it. But let's face it, it's hard for us, isn't it, to see through our present pain and and much less believe that it's going to be worth it. And because of this, for us, very rarely are the words joy and endurance put together. As I mentioned, I I ran the Tulsa Run, I think it was in 1987, a long time ago. I'm still emotionally scarred. (laughs) 10,000 other people, and I finished. But it was questionable along the way. At mile six, I was passed by a man pulling a child in a radio flyer red wagon. Not one of my better moments. <laughs> just think of all the things that run through your head as that's happening. And you have to watch him just slowly keep going, knowing you can't, you can't catch him. <laughs> At mile seven, I encountered Houston Hill, which has since been taken out of the course. Uh, it was horrible. And it is a steep incline that causes many people to drop out, and I made it. At mile eight, 
I pass the Doubletree Hotel as I'm heading into downtown for my final discouraging blow. My alma mater, the University of Tulsa, had a home football game that day. And as I passed the hotel, the opposing team was standing out on the sidewalk. I was maybe 25 or 26 at the time. Just a few years earlier, I would have been on the field, the game they were about to go play. But on this day, I was a beat-down runner. There weren't many of us on the road that moment. I can't be for sure who they were talking to, but I heard one of the players say, Hey, John, look, that's you in 20 years. (laughs) Not exactly the cloud of witnesses I was looking for. But at each point of discouragement, there was only one thing that kept me going, that I knew there was a finish line, and that it would be worth it once I made it there. Now, I don't know where you find yourself this morning in this endurance race called the Christian life, but let me encourage you with these words from the preacher. Words that he has regularly kept in front of us during this sermon. Jesus has shown us how to run. He's made it possible for us to run and to finish well. Do you see that little line at the very end of Hebrews 12 too? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's at the finish line waiting for us. Rest is coming soon. Let's pray together. Lord, I know there are many here this morning who step into this place discouraged, facing an incredible hill or painful words from an onlooker or just wondering if they even want to keep going. Desperately in need of someone to cheer them on. Father, thanks for the reminder that this life you've called us to is hard but worth it. Thank you for looking past the pain of the cross and enduring it for us. Lord, forgive us for the times when we are frustrated about this, the difficulty of this life, almost surprised by it. Give us ears to hear the onlooking cheers. Give us wisdom in how to simplify our lives. Forgive us for the extra baggage we carry around, Father, and and forgive us for the ways we veer off course, the ways we get entangled in sin. Lord, forgive us, untangle us, so we can start anew. Most importantly, Father, help us to keep our eyes on you. Forgive us when we run ahead of you and act as if we don't need you. For when we lag behind and are tired and don't want to continue this rigorous life that you've called us to, Lord, we want to follow and to finish well. We believe and hope and trust that it will be worth it. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.